Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted and privileged to welcome not just a legend from the tech industry of India, now in the US, but someone who has actually seen the tech industry grow from nothing to the powerhouse it is in the world today. Mr. Arjun Malhotra from the US. Arjun, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ashutosh. Uh, Mr. Malhotra is the chairman of Magic EdTech. Uh, as I mentioned, he's a pioneer of the Indian IT industry. He was one of the co-founders of HCL, which grew from a garage operation to one of India's largest IT companies. He has been chairman of Headstrong, TechSpan, the Indian School of Business Hyderabad, the IIT Kharagpur Foundation, and many more. He's also the recipient of the Albert Einstein Technology Medal in 2001 and several more awards and recognitions. My goodness, what a, how delighted I am to be able to speak to someone of your state, stage as sir. So let me start by asking you, Arjun, as the first leading Indian entrepreneur to relocate to USA, what were some of your challenges and learnings? And how did it, uh, what did it take to convince people so, yes. Uh, so when I first came here, uh, first thing is, you know, the phone system in India didn't work too well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our business was done face to face. And technically, your skills were in uh, reading body language and stuff when you're dealing with the potential customers Correct. or with you know, clients. Mm -hmm. uh, in the US, things were done on the phone. Mm -hmm. And that was a big learning on how to actually assess people on the phone and try and do things on the phone. Mm. The second thing is in India, a lot of it is done verbally. We shake hands mm. and, you know, there are agreements, but who reads, Correct. you know, behind an invoice or a quote, there's a lot of fine print. Yeah. Who reads the fine print? Mm. You tend to sort out problems by talking to people and, you know, sorting them out most of the time. Uh, the court system just takes a long time and has a big headache. So True. you only go there if there's a major problem. Mm. In the U.S., you get a verbal okay, and then it takes six weeks for the lawyers to come to an agreement with mm. how the contract has to be worded. Correct. Uh, that was another learning experience. Mm. Mm. I, you know, we didn't have too much trouble or problems with uh, getting business because we were experts on Unix when we mm. came here. Yeah. Unix was just making the transition here from being a scientific operating system to a commercial operating system. Mm. We had already done a lot of work on Unix, had a spooler, you know, had a file system, had, mm. a, had uh, you know, done, uh, you know, lots of stuff on mm. it. Mm. And so a lot of people wanted that expertise. Mm. Plus we had uh, worked on a multiprocessor uh, machine in India. We were selling it there. Multiprocessors here were very expensive. Right. And everyone wanted their software, like the databases, mm. the enabling software. Mm. They wanted those extensions on their software. Mm. So we actually had a very, very good position. In fact, uh, I remember the recession in uh, 91 or so. Basically, the uh, we, we grew through the recession. Mm. And that was one of the decisions I look back and, you know, it was the wrong decision. I mm. don't know if I could have taken... A different decision at that time correct, correct. but yeah but that's that's amazing. what happened with us yeah. amazing and you know hcl started as a hardware company 
and it then transitioned to uh, a very powerful software company. What is the story behind the hardware to the software transition? Well, it's a long story. Let me try and give it to you briefly. Okay. So when we came to the US, we came here to sell our hardware. Mm. We had a multi-processor machine mm. that ran Unix. Uh, to the user, it was like single user Unix, but internally the machine had multiple CPUs. Mm. Uh, you know, you could buy them from MIPS and uh, uh, Pyramid. They cost a million dollars. Mm. Ours were, was at about $100,000. So we thought there was a market. We had McKinsey do a study for us. Obviously, when you come to the US, you have to get a UL certification. You have to you know, get the enabling technologies, the compilers, the databases yeah. to run on your machine. Mm. And so we, the deal we had, normally you pay for a port mm. that you want to do on your hardware. Mm. The deal we had with a lot of these uh, manufacturers, uh, these uh, vendors, was that I will do the multiprocessor extensions mm. on your software. Mm. That is your IP. And I'll port it on my machine. Mm. I The engineers are at my cost, but I won't pay for the porting. Mm. And so that's how we were doing it. Okay. Uh, we, at some stage, uh, we decided to get out of hardware mm. because we had a big order. It was um, our system, our computer was based on the Motorola 68000. Mm. Uh, the uh, the company that had given us the order got acquired mm. and their acquirer wanted only Intel uh, Intel chips, not mm. Motorola chips. Yeah. And so, you know, the order we had became a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. I was naive. I didn't know that I could go legal and probably get a lot of money. Mm. Uh, mm. Not that I would have done it, but uh, we decided to get out of hardware and sort mm. of the plan was to close the U.S. operation and go back to India. Okay. So I told all these vendors where we were doing this work that I would withdraw my engineers. Mm. All of them agreed to pay for it. Mm. They said they needed those extensions. They'd pay us uh, per hour for our engineers who were working there. And it was a very profitable business. And so, you know, I suddenly had a cash flow, a positive cash flow. I suddenly had a business. And, you know, we basically grew that. The other thing that happened was Mm. because we were doing manufacturing, we had taken a 33,000 square foot office Mm. with a sign on the road saying HCL America. Mm. And a lot of young engineers would drop into the office and say, is this the same HCL from India? A lot of young Indian engineers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we got to know them and they were working in different companies. And so, you know, through them, we got into those companies. We Mm. made them our customers, those particular companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the average uh, sort of half-life of an engineer technology person was nine months in Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley in those days. Mm -hmm. And so we'd follow people who'd done business with us. And when Mm -hmm. they'd go to a new company, uh, he would champion us in there. And that's how we grew. That's how HCL grew. Amazing. Amazing. So my next question is for, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs who are wanting to, you know, talk global uh, out of India also. My question to you is, you went into America at a time when India was very, very early in the stage of the globalization game. I'd love to get your perspective on what goes into building a global company with its roots in India. Yeah, so I moved here basically because at HCL, we felt that unless we have some marketing knowledge closer to our market, Mm -hmm. how do we make a product for that market? Correct. I can't do it sitting in India mm. and trying to intellectually decide 
what a customer in Germany or UK or the US wants. Mm. And so, you know, it was a difficult decision at that time, both for the company and personally, mm. uh, and from a family point of view. Mm. So I left my son in India because I thought we were going to go back there after a few years. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it, it, we just felt we had to be close to understand the marketing, mm. you know, the marketing inputs yeah. that uh, from the market, if we had mm. to make a product, remember we came here to make hardware right. uh, products for the US market. And so that is how basically we decided uh, we mm. wanted to look at it. Mm. What did happen was that uh, before we, how do I put it? Before we uh, could start making money, mm. we had lost uh, $3 million in trying to do our hardware. Mm. And so I obviously had a buffer not to pay tax for a while till I recovered that money. Mm. So when we had the recession in 91, mm. India ran into a cash flow problem. Correct. Because, you know, first thing people stop buying is office equipment and yeah. computers. Mm. I had money here because I hadn't, didn't have to pay tax. Mm. So I actually bought a facility in India to set up my back office mm. for services uh, from HCL for a million and a half because mm. that's how we were able to remit money from here to India. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no other way to do it. Mm. Mm. So that's that's basically Amazing. You know, sort of a Amazing. little bit of history. Fantastic. So my next question to you is that, you know, Indian software for a large part of its life has predominantly been what you would refer to in the old days as body shopping. Now people are beginning to talk about products coming out of India. What is holding us back to become more productized? So, you know, I've always maintained that unless you have a large domestic market, Correct. you can't make products. Mm -hmm. So I've always maintained that where we will probably be the best in the world quickly is healthcare. Right. We probably have the largest domestic market in the world. That's one of the, if not the largest one, mm -hmm. definitely one of the largest. Yeah. Right. What happened in IT mm. was that India didn't have a large domestic market. And so it, there was no motivation to make products for a market you understood. Mm. But there were uh, segments in that market. And iFlex is a good example mm. because I know I've worked with the banks. We've got Kapiti, we've got Hogan, we've got all the big software, State Bank of India, spent mm. a lot of money. Mm. None of it really worked. Whereas iFlex initially, and then subsequently lots of other people mm. have come up with software that was relevant to Indian conditions right. for Indian banks in those branches. Something that Oracle bought and is taking to emerging markets all over the world. Mm. Right. So now you are seeing, in fact, today, if you look at India, mm. there is a lot of work going on in products and a lot of companies are coming up that are doing products for the Indian market, mm. which are also being sold in other markets, US being one of them. Mm. And so you're seeing that change happen right now. Of course, just remember, low hanging fruit, what does an entrepreneur do? Correct. So I Correct. look at business models in the US, for example, mm. I look at eBay, I look at uh, Amazon, and I replicate them with customization for India. Mm. So you've got Flipkart, Right. You've got eBay equivalents coming up in Correct. India. Correct. And those are low-hanging fruit. And it's easy for people to do. Mm. But you are seeing products that are specific for India also coming up. Mm. Fascinating. And, yeah. 
fascinating so uh, you know one of the other questions that i wanted to ask you was on scaling up uh, you scaled up hcl uh, by just establishing a beachhead and then you must have been associated with dozens of other startups who you have you have built my question to you is that scaling up is a very different experience than creating a new business what do leaders need to be mindful of uh, in relation to people and competencies when they start scaling up yeah so <laughs> so starting a new business is like having a baby Correct. and you know the first 2 3 years scaling up a company is like managing a teenager correct so you know you know if you ever had a teenager you know how difficult it is absolutely if you ever remember your teenage years you know how difficult you were yeah but what happens is when you're starting a company everything mm. is what the technology or whatever the company needs your customers etc mm. etc et as you grow people issues take up most of your time mm. because you then can't do everything yourself correct you have to motivate people to do it mm. you can't call people into a room tell them what to do and when they walk out everyone is clear mm. your communication becomes diffused as it goes through a large organization mm. so you spend a lot of time trying to communicate your message you're getting everyone aligned to the same objectives mm. so often you have people saying i work really hard but no one recognizes what i do mm. I mean you may be working hard but if you're not working hard towards the same objective or the same goal Correct. obviously there's a large a good probability you won't get recognized yeah. hmm. so those become the problem and that's not something a lot of people are comfortable with hmm. so scaling sometimes requires a different kind of mindset than what you have right and in all fairness uh, my my thing is I love the, I love the startup I am not too happy I mean I'm I've done it but that's not where I want to spend my life scaling company. Mm. The other thing is it takes time. Right. You can't, you know, you there are occasions like the bubble in 99 2000 where things happen very quickly but yes. that's not the way life goes normally. Absolutely. So if you want to build a company, you want to sustain it, it's going to take 7 10 years of your life mm. and your time to get that done. That's mm. my view. Well said. Uh, you know. well said and uh, my next question to you is that you know the whole world is coming out of the pandemic now and you know there's work from home there is the great resignation and all kinds of things if you were to build a leadership team in today's context what would you look for in people you know i don't think that has changed mm-hmm. i think what has changed is your how you would communicate and manage people mm-hmm. that are sitting at different locations mm-hmm. now the us has been doing that quite often people mm-hmm. talk of uh, having a coast to coast life etc etc mm-hmm. india we never did it earlier mm-hmm. it's starting to happen now mm-hmm. uh, we are still i think in india we we will still go through a learning phase to see how to make it efficient going forward yeah. when you make it a little more hybrid during the pandemic it wasn't hybrid you people weren't traveling at all but we'll have to start you know there are certain things like innovation and stuff that i have i don't think we have a model that allows us to do it remotely people mm. need to sit together uh, discuss argue whatever word you want to use to be able to come up with mm. what we consider uh, out of the box solutions 
it's difficult. I, I don't know a way to do it uh, right. remotely. Correct. Correct. So I think you're going to see that happen. I, I personally, you know, uh, again, my experience at Headstrong, we had decided to save money at time when the market slowed down in 2009, mm. I think it was. Uh, we were in the financial markets. Uh, mm. uh, we thought, let's invest in uh, uh, video equipment, mm. uh, video conferencing equipment, mm. and let's do our meetings that way. Mm. It didn't last. One, two quarters later, we decided that wasn't how it worked. So right. what we did was uh, we decided for a week in a quarter, we the senior management team, about eight, ten of us, would meet at different locations, mm. even if there were smaller offices, mm. spend a few days there, uh, spend you know two, three days mm. discussing mm. our issues, sorting out interpersonal, whatever happens, mm. and then you know spend some time with people in that office, do a little sightseeing, whatever needed to be done. Mm. Before that happened, I found that a lot of inter senior people interactions were going through me mm. and that wasn't what I wanted to do. And that wasn't my job. Correct. Yet when we did this weekly meeting after that, I didn't have to do any of that because they sorted it out amongst themselves because they were face to face. Well said. And well so, said. yeah. So I, I believe in that. Maybe mm. I'm old school. I don't know. No, no, I, I'm That's completely in agreement because I also believe, you know, that management by walking around or discussions at the coffee, uh, coffee, coffee counter, are invaluable in an office. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm hearing you say. But now switching gears a little bit, and given the fact that you are you know, an, an active investor in so many different companies, I'd love to get your perspective on valuation and value creation. And I was talking to one of these unicorn founders, and someone asked him this question that, you know, I've been building a huge from one of the traditional Marwadi families, massive assets have been built and you come and you build and you keep losing money. And the response he gave was, well, you need special talent to lose money and build your valuation. I'd love to get your perspective on what drives valuation. Is it profits, uh, venture capitalists or investors or the stock market or what? So, you know, I'm again, I'd say I'm old school. I, you know, during the bubble uh, at Techspand, we were doing quite well. We had we had done 67 million with 4 million of profit in our second year. Mm -hmm. We didn't go public because people were discounting us for making a profit. Mm -hmm. And I, I basically believe that your business model has to be right. Has to make money. You have to have a way to profitability. Yeah, Not making losses is mm -hmm. not important. You Correct. make losses through at a certain time to grow, but you have to have a strategy. You have mm. to have a way to profitability. Mm. If you don't have that, I would not uh, be interested in, mm. you know, investing in the company. Correct. The other thing is what drives value is your business model, the market you're in, your uniqueness, your intellectual property, mm. and the most important is your team. Mm. If I'm comfortable with your team, I think you'll create value. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I look at investments, I look at the team. I look at the fact that they're willing to put in hard work mm. because there's no substitute to putting in the sweat that makes companies grow. Yeah. And I try to look at, uh, are they going to change the world in some way? Are they going to make my life as I get older a little easier, mm. a little better? Right. Then 
according to me, whether they make money or not is uh, sort of quasi, it's secondary. It's nice to do it. It's mm. always nice, but it's secondary because they're making a difference. And so, you know, the satisfaction of being able to make a difference is very different to the satisfaction. Yes, you've got to be comfortable financially. Right. You don't have to have, you know, I, I think there's a certain amount after which, what do you do with the money? You can't do anything. With it. Absolutely. Well said. And you know the old. Uh, if you, if you are familiar with some of our old Vedas and mm. stuff like that, they have a very nice saying that the only thing you leave behind after you're dead and gone are your children and your reputation. Absolutely. And so you know, if you live your life with that, you know, that's the important thing. Very well said, and so true. So my next question to you is uh, your recent initiative that you launched in India, the Make in India initiative where I noticed that you've gone back to hardware. Uh, and, uh, you know, you did announce a, it was a big uh, initiative that you launched. I'd love to get uh, your perspective on what you want to do and what are the objectives? So, you know, I go back to my roots, HCL. Well, even DCM before that, mm. what we built were products for our market. So let me go to HCL's first commercial product, mm. what we call the HCL HC. Mm. It was an 8-bit uh, Rockwell PPS 8-bit uh, mm. based, uh, a microprocessor based uh, commercial computer. Mm. It had what is called a power shutoff auto restart. Mm. So if you remember in the 70s, India had a lot of power cuts. They still have some, yeah. but we used to have a lot of them. Absolutely. And computers don't like power cuts mm. because, you know, Trying to get them back and recover them requires skill, real mm. skill. Mm. And we didn't have enough programmers in India at that time. So what we did was we built with into the logic, we mm. built with a truck battery, XI, mm. you know, one of those mm -hmm. lead acid batteries. We built a power shot of auto restart. So when the power went, Hmm. The machine, the battery held all the registers in the machine so hmm. that it started from exactly where it stopped. I see. Hmm. So you didn't have to. Hmm. It was unique to India. Yeah. You know, hmm. of course, you know, we even sold some in Pakistan because we couldn't sell from India, but we moved them through our Singapore subsidiary at that time, hmm. which we set up in 1980. Uh -huh. But yeah, that's a different story. Yeah. But uh, basically, that's what we've done. Okay. And that, you know, and we were able in 10 years that enabled us to become the largest computer company in India. Yes. At HCL. Mm. So what happened was once this software services boom started, everyone forgot about hardware and the hardware margins got squeezed in all mm -hmm. fairness. So people said, why spend money and effort on hardware? Everyone moved to software. And really, today, if you want to buy a tablet, for example, you buy it from multinational, whether it's Samsung or Lenovo or yeah. whoever mm -hmm. making the tablet, right? Unfortunately, look at how the tablets come today. They're sealed, right? They're not upgradable, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's not what India needs. And with the pandemic, about, uh, I don't know, a big number of rural kids mm -hmm. have fallen behind on education Correct. because they don't have access to mm -hmm. tablets and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, they couldn't do the online classes. Mm -hmm. So the government is taking a massive initiative to try and give these kids tablets so they can go on, do mm -hmm. hybrid and go mm -hmm. online. Mm -hmm. So we talked to a number of uh, governments, including the central government. And I'm just giving an example. Yeah. 
yeah. and said, why don't we design a tablet for India? Mm. Now, what does it what does it need to have? Mm. It needs to be maintainable. Mm-hmm. Right. So I should be able to have people not in the village, but in a town nearby, Correct. open the thing and fix it. Correct. In a way, number one. Mm. Number two, it needs to be upgradable. So from a three-year life, can I make it a five-year life? Mm. And number three, because power failures still happen mm. and batteries only last a certain amount of time, yeah. especially if you're doing graphics and all that mm. stuff mm. on the machine, can I have it like the old cell phones where I can replace the battery mm. with a charged battery and continue using the wow. tablet? Mm. So just think of that's what the yeah. India needs mm. from a tablet. Correct. Right. Now, a Samsung or a Lenovo is unlikely to make it. Yeah. Because, yeah. But why, why don't we get it made in India? Mm. Get an Indian brand. Mm. And then there'll be other parts of the world where it might be uh, saleable. Mm. Right. And so that's what we are planning. I just gave an example. Mm. Uh, you that's know, LED. Can, yeah. yeah. So those are things. And so we want to get this design is already done in India. Mm. I need to get it manufactured. And if I manufacture it there and I have the quantity, component manufacturers from all over the world will come in and want to be Correct. local. Correct. So my component industry in India will go up. Mm. You know, obviously, ideally, we'd love a fab and a display unit, display fab to come up too. Mm. But I have to show them that there's volume. I have to show them the market and then they'll come, mm. you know. Right. And so that's the whole plan. So it's not a short-term plan, it's a long-term plan. And ultimately, if you look at it, if I want security and the defense and all that, mm. keep talking of security, I better develop my own operating system. Mm. Well right? said. Well said. And that's well a longer-term plan. And, you know, we had it in HCL. Mm. We gave it up. It's just that, mm. hello, it can be done. We've done it before. And we have these skills. We do it for the rest of the world. Why don't we do it for ourselves? Amazing. So Amazing. hopefully, yeah, hopefully... So we are just trying to be the catalyst to get that going. Mm. I'm too old to see it through, but at least if we can start the ball rolling, hopefully there'll be no, enough people. I'm sure we'll be, we'll, we'll, be looking, we'll be looking at you and you'll be doing achieving all these things uh, in the next so many years, but more power to you. Thank you. So I've got time for one more question, Arjun. And this is now for the many, many young people who will listen to your words of wisdom. Based on an incredible life, that you've had in the tech world and as an, as a human being, what would you say are three lessons you would want our young viewers and listeners to take away from our conversation? So, you know, uh, first thing is I tell everyone to be themselves. Don't yeah. change yourself. It yeah. doesn't matter whether you're successful or you're, you haven't, you're, you're, it doesn't work out. Be yourself because I think your biggest asset are your friends you make. Mm -hmm. And unless you are who you are, if you change, you're going to lose those friends, or Mm -hmm. some of them at least. Mm -hmm. So first. Second is, if you're planning to uh, start something, Mm -hmm. right, please try and recruit people who are smarter than you. Now, you know, uh, believe me, they exist. They are out there. They are there. Try and find them. Mm -hmm. And when you get them, please listen to them. Yeah. Right. Don't just get them because they are smart, mm. uh, you know, because smart people, if they, if you don't listen to them, you may disagree with them, but mm. do listen to them. Uh, they leave you. Mm. And really, individuals don't build a company, no matter what the press says, and no matter what people say, 
companies are built by people, they're built by teams. Mm. And so try and develop a great team. Mm. And the third thing is, look, you know, not everything succeeds. Mm. I mean, I can talk about a number of failures we had in HCL and elsewhere, mm. but you've got to learn from them. And yeah. you've got to look at what mistakes you made yeah. and then go ahead and, you know, try and make sure you don't repeat those mistakes. Mm. I think those are the what few important things that I'd like yeah. to leave with people. Uh, you know, uh, remember, be optimistic about possibilities mm. because whatever is possible can be done. Amazing. And try not to accept any limitations. You mm. know, don't blame the external world for things. Mm. Ultimately, look at what you did wrong. The external world is what it is. You've got to remember, you can't change it. Mm. That's what it is. Amazing. You have to look at what you can change in yourself. Mm. I think amazing. that's amazing. Arjun, on that note, uh, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for sharing with me your amazing journey, you know, actually having, and I would say having the having courage to have walked off to the US uh, and started you know, your own beachhead there and built HCL and then your whole life and the other businesses in the US. Thank you for talking to me about technology and the way this is going to change uh, in the whole world and what what Indian companies are doing. Uh, you also spoke to me about the Make in India initiative. And I think it is, we're all going to be watching out for what you will deliver again for the tech world from India. And finally, thank you so much for the three wonderful lessons, which are be yourself, recruit smarter than yourself, and don't be afraid to fail. Thank you again for speaking to me and good luck. Thank you. Not at all, Ashutosh. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.